it feels really good to work at it and stumble and it be difficult and then get to the other side and be like, wow, I handled that thing. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. If you're listening to this show, there's a decent chance that becoming more confident and feeling more confident, especially in your professional life, is something that is very appealing to you. And I think that it's pretty universally appealing to everyone. It's something that everyone wants, but it can kind of be this elusive thing that we know we want. We know we want this good feeling, this bold, confident feeling, but it can feel really mysterious and hard and not straightforward when we try to figure out how to attain that feeling and how to feel confident. And one of the reasons that I love today's conversation and today's guest, Erin Foley, and today's episode is because we talk about confidence and Erin shares some ideas that turn the concept of confidence kind of upside down on its head in a way that I found very positive and very encouraging and almost a relief. And as you'll hear from her as the conversation evolves, it's not about feeling good all the time. It's not about doing the best all the time. It's not about being perfect all the time. It's actually about those not so good times, those imperfect times, those ugly times, those feeling awful times. That is really where confidence begins to happen and where the beginnings of confidence begin to grow and stir. And for anyone who is struggling or feeling like they want to evolve or change, the ideas that Erin shares in this conversation are so incredibly helpful. Now, this is part two of my conversation with Erin. I scheduled an interview with her, and I was so drawn into what she was saying that we ended up talking for two hours. So if you haven't listened to the episode right before this one, which is part one, I would listen to that one first. This episode can stand on its own, but it will be much more fun to listen to having heard the first part. But if you're just tuning in for the first time, Erin is a mindset coach, and she does a lot of work with working women and does a lot of mindset work to help figure out what is going on internally in someone's mind as they are moving through challenges in the workplace. And this conversation focuses a lot, like I said, on confidence and particularly the relationship between self-confidence and hard things, hard situations and how they connect to each other. We also talk about feeling awkward, <laughs> which is often one of the feelings that we're dealing with before we feel like we've gotten to a state of confidence. We talk about setting goals and why it can feel so hard when our goal feels really far away or it feels like we're not moving closer to it. We talk about playfulness and the importance of having a playful attitude. This conversation was so much fun. I am so excited for you to hear it. I hope that it shifts your mind in the same way that it shifted my mind. And I hope that you fall in love with Aaron in the same way that I did. So with that, I don't want to keep you from this conversation any longer. Let's jump into part two of my chat with Aaron, and I'll catch you at the end. So we're going to pivot now to talking about confidence, which is one of my favorite topics. I know it's a topic a lot of people are interested in also. Yeah. And so the first thing I want to get your thoughts on is this idea of what it means, what it looks like to be a quote unquote confident professional woman. Yeah. Like, what is your view on that? What does it look like? What should it look like? So I think... I think that I love this question because I think we all have this very superficial image of what we think confidence is. And we tend to associate it with like the person who is 
mastered their job and they're like, they're sort of assertive and they speak loudly and, you know, they're in the power suit and their heads up high. So we tend to, there's probably, and there's probably like a person, many of us have like a person that we see and we're like, oh, they are so confident. And a lot of people have what I call contingent confidence. I totally fell into this category the first half of my professional life. And contingent confidence is like, I'm confident so long as I am in a space where I've mastered the role and I'm getting consistently the feedback that I desire. So like, I was definitely confident as a professor. I felt like I was good at it. My students told me I was good at it. People who observed me told me I was good at it. So everything was like, check, 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 check. But if you took me out of that role and you threw me into something new, you asked me to try something different, you pushed me beyond that space, everything crumbled. And I immediately was like, and I couldn't like the, the feeling of like taking on a new challenge, failing at something, making a mistake, just, I couldn't handle it. Like the first semester that I got bad student evaluations, I was going through a divorce. I was totally disconnected from this class I was teaching and I did not show up well for it. And I got chewed out by like seven to 10 students in the evaluations. And that had never happened to me. And I, you would have thought like the universe had come crashing down. And I remember going to my department chair and being like, oh my God, and thinking it was like the worst thing. And he was like, I can't believe you've gotten this far in your teaching career. And this is the first time you like had crappy student evaluations and had a class not go well. You know, he's like, he said to me, like, the level of, at which you're squeezing this and your expectations of yourself are so high, you're going to burn out. You'll never be able to maintain this, which I couldn't register at the time because I didn't have any real distance on what was happening. But I had contingent confidence. So in a new situation with a new challenge, I could not stay confident. So to me, what's so interesting is that people that are really confident and have success in their life and fulfillment in their life, they have a growth mindset. They're not confident all the time, but they believe in their ability to become confident in new situations and they believe in their ability to handle challenges. So it's an internal state and the internal state is actually, oh, I can take on this new challenge and not be great at it, but I know I can get better at it. I can stumble around. I can eventually probably master this, get a grip on what's happening. I'm going to feel good in that role. That's what actual confidence looks like. It's not the person who's squeezing at it so tight and has everything mastered. It's the person that feels like I'm able to be confident in this situation, less in this situation, but I'll be okay. You have a sense that you'll be okay moving through different challenges, and you have a sense that you're allowed to grow. You have a sense that you can handle mistakes and failure. Real confidence means you can handle a mistake or failure. If you're running from mistakes and failure and petrified of them, you have contingent confidence. You're struggling to really feel like you can handle what comes with evolving through our life and moving into different spaces. So the person that you see at work who appears to have everything just so tightly in place, I'm telling you, those women show up in my coaching all the time. And what's going on inside of their heads and what's going on the minute they get negative feedback is often not at all what you see on the outside. I see them on the other side of my computer screen saying, oh my God, I got negative feedback or I'm in this new role and I've been a master at this thing my whole life and now I'm crumbling. And I'm here to tell you that those people that you often think are unbelievably confident are often contingently confident. And so don't strive to have what they have because it doesn't feel good. They're often squeezing, squeezing, squeezing at this one tiny thing that they've mastered, but they're not going to be able to move calmly through other challenges in their life. What you really want is a growth mindset. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about having a playful attitude or this idea of playfulness and what that can do for a growth mindset or for difficult situations? Oh my gosh. Playfulness is what like my current coach that I work with now uses all the time with me. I love that you said that. Yeah. Um, it's how I can almost identify with myself when I'm like squeezing at things too tightly. It is like thinking about the riding the bike thing. You know what I mean? Like you're new or you're trying something different at work or you're trying to land this client for the first time. Playfulness is key because you almost can laugh at, oh my God, I got on that call and I didn't know what I was doing. Like I panicked, I freaked out. It, it would happen to me like doing this course where I'm the mindset coach and I work with this really powerful, great businesswoman and 
you know, we'll hop on and technology will fall apart and then we'll be answering people's questions. And all of a sudden a question comes and we're both kind of like stumbling around it and we couldn't find the answer and we'll get off and we'll be like, oh my God, like what just happened? I was panicking and she'll be like, yeah, I was panicking and I couldn't figure out, did I know the answer? And then I lost my train of thought. And so just like, it's really just the same thing you would do. Like if you had a four-year-old kid and they're trying to learn something or they're playing with something, you would be sort of gentle, playful, curious about it. And we just lose the ability to do that with ourselves that of course you're going to fall on your face. Sometimes you're going to stumble over your words. You're going to, your armpits are going to sweat through in a presentation and you're going to be like, Oh my God, can people see the sweat on my armpits right now? Like, those things don't mean I don't have it together. I'm doing something wrong. What's a matter with me? It's like, I always just laugh and think like, oh my God, the human experience is such a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'm really glad that you like started talking about those seemingly like quote unquote, like little things, but that can fill us like with deep feelings of anxiety, because I know another big struggle, particularly for I think women and some who are listening is like this incredibly deep discomfort in your own skin. And Mm -hmm. I can certainly speak to my experience. But on the outside, when I look back at it, like, in some ways I can like laugh and be like, oh my gosh, I felt so awkward. Like I said that awkward thing, but when I was experiencing it, it felt so dark and like so just horrible. Mm -hmm. It it really was such a tough experience. And I think that that's something that a lot of people feel. And then I also think they feel bad about themselves for feeling that way for feeling that way instead of showing themselves like just a little bit of compassion. Yeah, we all I mean, I was on a <laughs> Facebook live with a business owner the other day doing, you know, a big thing for her audience and I was so tired. <laughs> and we hadn't done it in a while. And my brain when we first came on was saying <laughs> to me over and over again, you have zero things to say. Like you've lost your ability to think critically and to problem solve. You're so tired. There's like, I kept thinking and and we were answering people's lives questions. And my brain was like, you can't answer any questions. You don't know anything about anything anymore. Like your brain is emptied out. And then it started to think, I wonder what would happen if I passed out in the middle of this, like we're on live. And I'm so tired. Like, what happens if I hit the ground and it played through this weird scenario of me passing out? And all of this is happening mentally, right? But I know enough to know that, like, usually I fall into my stride. I might stumble around it for a second. And what's so interesting that I have the pleasure of being able to do afterwards is because this is a Facebook Live in her community and I get to go back, I can watch it. So I went back and watched and I was like, you can't even tell what's going on. Like, the thing that's so interesting is often people can't see what's happening with you at all. The other thing to keep in mind is that we are so narcissistic. They are thinking (laughs) about you for a split second and then they're immediately back into their own story. So they don't actually care if you stumbled, if you did, it's like they have a moment of it and they may actually be like, Oh, thank God she stumbled. Like I'm not the only one who stumbles and they go right back to their own obsessive thoughts. So usually it's not perceived to the extent that we think it is. It's because we're experiencing it so intensely, but externally it doesn't look intense at all. And also people don't care. They don't care about you or your life long enough for it to even have a significant impact on them. They go right back to like, did I eat Wendy's three times this week? What should I be doing for lunch? Like they really... (laughs) they're in and out of it and back into their own. We know that from our own experience, like how, how much in the day are you really obsessing about someone else's behavior? You're obsessing about your own and your, and anyone's behavior in relation to what they think of you. Oh my gosh. It's so true. And one thing that I would tell people too, so you mentioned like, oh, someone might be thinking that you made a mistake and it might make them feel better Mm -hmm. because they make that mistake too. I think there's also sometimes a sense, especially when it comes to like hallway talk, small talk at the office, that's something that can feel challenging or uncomfortable. And I think there can be a pressure to be like, oh, I must say like something that's like kosher. Like I need to say something not too risque. It has to be like 10% funny, 40% approvable. (laughs) Like you're just trying to say like the perfect thing. And then in my experience and what I have advised to people is just 
say you. Yeah. Just be who you are and allow the quirk and the personality and who you are to come through. Because as long as you're a respectful person and as long as you have like a good sense of common sense, anything you say is okay. Totally. And it, that's what's going to, like you were saying before, that enables humans to connect. And connections are so important professionally. And I think like sometimes this is a place where instincts like they really feel like they're leading us in the right direction by telling us like, say that perfect thing, say it perfect. Right. If someone asks you how your weekend was, like, don't talk about the weird thing that you tried. Like, <laughs> just say the other thing. Like, no, like tell someone about it, you know, like tell them, just talk with them, let them see who you are. It's so true. And it's funny because in graduate school, everyone has so much imposter syndrome. It is like, Oh my God, it's a hotbed for it. Everyone's sitting there thinking, I'm not smart enough to be here. I don't know what's happening. Everyone here is going to f- figure me out. And, but everyone's co- overcompensating and pretending that like they have everything together and like my life is super smooth and I don't watch TV on the weekends and, you know, all this weird thing. And for some reason, like I can't. I almost can't breathe in that environment. It's so antithetical to how I function as a human that it makes me crazy. And so somehow instinctively, I've known not to do that. And when I was in graduate school, I would sort of find myself just being like, oh my God, none of you have a TV. Like, what do you stare at all day? Like, what do you point toward your furniture towards? Like, I would just find myself like saying these things and saying like, I totally got lost in that class. I didn't understand what was happening. And slowly people would be like, oh my God, I know. I never understand what he's talking about. That that often just those little tiny nuggets of like me allowing the vulnerability to come out or me being like, hey, like what? What? I, we just did 40 minutes on that theory and I still can't tell you three words of what it means. And people would inevitably say me too. Oh my God, yes. And they would be relieved because the pressure of the pretend falls out. So when you're around, people will often say like, this coworker makes me so uncomfortable because they're always pretending that everything's so together or pretending. And then I always say, well, like, are you dropping your own pretend? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's the best way. Your behavior can set the tone so easily for the people around you. Ease it on yourself. Don't expect everyone else to do it. You just show up that way. And it's unbelievable how much it starts to sort of seep around. And I had a professor say to me when I left, God, the, your best quality while you were here was just the refreshingness of you saying, like, I watched TV this weekend or I raising your hand in class and saying, like, I have no idea what you're saying. I still do not understand this concept. And it would break the ice for other people all the time. And mm. you would think that if I did it, people would just think, like, she's not competent. She doesn't know what she's, you know, and it doesn't do that. We crave vulnerability so much that it often makes us feel intense relief when someone around us gives us just like a nugget of it. This was huge for me, like one of the biggest step function improvements that I made professionally was like to get over this story I had that if I wasn't understanding something and it wasn't going in the first time, I needed to make sure no one knew that. And I just, instead of asking the question in the meeting, I had to just go back to my desk, reread my notes 50 times and force it to make sense. Mm -hmm. And this is something that a lot of people face and it's it's not realistic and and the other thing too is that we all communicate so differently mm-hmm. we all understand the world so differently and so someone can say something that makes sense to them and just because it doesn't make sense to someone else it means nothing about either person's intelligence or worth <laughs> yeah. or anything 100% absolutely and usually someone else in the room doesn't understand it that is the truth mm-hmm. so if you're confused someone else whose brain functions like yours is also confused I mean, that is the truth. I know that as a teacher, right? When my, when I taught and my students, when someone was confused, someone else was always confused. Always. Mm -hmm. So you're, yeah, yes. Yes, yes, and more yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're, we're on the same wavelength with this one. So a couple more questions on confidence, and then we'll go into the listener question and the closing question. Okay, sounds good. So for confidence, do you have any tips or maybe any fun tips or just things listeners can try as baby steps to growing confidence, cultivating confidence? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. Interestingly enough, the best way to really do it is to step into things that make you slightly uncomfortable and to allow yourself to sort of gently go into it, take the small risk, be wobbly and get better at it. 
because it's what you're really craving and wanting when you want that deep, deep confidence is to be able to not be so afraid of the change, not be so afraid of the judgment. And like people, people think the way you, you deal with, like, if you have a super big fear of people judging you, we often think the best way to handle that is to control our lives so we, that we think we're never being judged. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the best way to handle that is to be judged and let yourself see that it's totally fine. It's to not run from the thing that you're afraid of. And so one of the things I did, so silly, but I like started taking dance classes again, like in the middle of my mental meltdown when I was trying to figure out what I wanted with my life and was feeling so perfectionistic and everything was so tightly wound. And I was terrified because I was like, I'm like a grown ass woman going into this class who doesn't really remember what I'm doing with anything. And I'm going to look silly and I'm terrible at remembering, you know, how to choreograph or whatever. And so I just like went in and let myself like look stupid and not know what I was doing. Of course I was judged. Like I was a new woman in the class. People were like, who is she? And what's her story? And, you know, naturally their brains are going to do that because of course they're judging in group, out group, just like everyone else. But it's not about me. Those judgments are about themselves and evaluating if they're okay and all of that. And I had to just go in, let myself be judged, be bad at it get a little bit better at it, get more comfortable at it. And it was so fun because it like increased my confidence so significantly because I was just like, oh, I can do things I want to do. Even if I'm uncomfortable, I can get better at them. I can tolerate people possibly judging me in this new space. And I think it's the same way in our professional lives that we, you take these sort of calculated small risks and you step and you step and you feel scared and you work at it. We feel good when we watch ourselves master something. It's not that we just feel good when we get to the destination of mastering. It feels really good to work at it and stumble and it be difficult and then get to the other side and be like, wow, I handled that thing. That's really how you want to build the muscle. The, yes, the self-talk matters. And it matters what your mind is doing and learning those tactics, but in conjunction with some actions that let you really build the strength. I want you to feel strong enough to handle changes, risks, going after what you want. I don't want you to think you have to control it all the time so that everyone perceives you as performing excellently all the time. That's not how you feel confident. I love that so much. And I've been experiencing this like I'm on the tip of a glacier of a new feeling and it's really interesting because I feel like everything you said has been starting to sink in for me in a new way. And this might sound really weird, but I've been having these moments where like when something is really hard or like you're in that space of like, oh, I don't feel confident. I'm seeing this beautiful side in it where I'm like, oh, this feeling means that I get to grow. Yes. And like, if I suffer or move through pain, I create this magic in my life through that. And I don't know, I can't even really put words to it. And it, it's still like not fun. And this doesn't happen all the time. But I just kind of realized like, if I was good at everything or everything was good all the time, my life would lose so much richness and like in, you know, this is why we like watching sad movies and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. in those moments, that's that's where part of our life experience is. And even though it's not enjoyable, that's not synonymous with saying it doesn't have value. Yeah, it's true. And it's so it's fascinating because we grow up in sort of a self-esteemy culture and we think that what we want is this general sense of high self-esteem. But that's not actually correlated with any real success. It's having a confidence connected to something that you've worked at and mastered and, and then moving through processes. That's actually tangibly what research shows makes you feel good and feel fulfilled. So we kind of think we need to float around and just like feel good about ourselves all the time and be like, I'm a snowflake and I'm amazing. And we do all these like affirmations in these sort of detached ways. But what you actually want is, and what we crave is that sort of productivity, connection to something, working through something, making it to the other side, knowing I can get better at something that actually makes you feel better. And it's actually more correlated with success. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I think that this is so, so important for women's empowerment because so we don't have 
enough women at the top, right? It's yeah. so male. And they're also beyond just women, they're also deep issues of diversity. And totally. it's a funnel, right? So the way that I think about it is people who are starting their careers, I want them if they want big things, and they have leadership inside of them, and they dream of big things, like, I want anyone to see any end goal that they want for their career as a possibility for themselves yeah. without discounting it because I'm awkward, I'm this, I'm that, I'm X, I'm Y, I'm Z. Because my theory is in those things that you're struggling with, those are going to help you get there. And when you get there, they're going to help you be so effective. And like, I think it's just so autopilot for us to say, that's not for me. I can't have that because I'm missing these things. And I just like, totally. oh, I just really want people to understand you can be missing a 100,000 things right now. First of all, you're probably not missing as many things as you think. But mm -hmm. even if you are, it's okay. Everything's open to you if you're willing to move yourself through something difficult. It's true. And it's true that we get so attached to viewing particular pieces of like personality characteristics as some being like good and valuable and equated with success and others not. And it's so inaccurate. Like, oh, I need to be extroverted in order to be successful or get the thing. Oh, I need to be someone who's like super assertive and speaks really well. I need to be. And like, oftentimes we can look at various positions in leadership and see that they don't share consistent personality types, that there's an array of different personality types that they share a consistency in like creating a strong vision or in being persistent and open and like things that don't have anything to do with how you work or how you process or how you speak or things that we, we have this weird thing. Like my introverts will often think that their introversion is like not an asset. And I'm like, introverts are a huge asset. They're slower processes. They're more pensive. They think through things like on a deeper level. Like we need them and, and we need them in all kinds of different roles. So it's often part of your superpower. It's not a weakness. And that's a huge, huge trap that many of us fall into where we think if I don't have these six things and somehow I'm not going to be successful in my life or in my career, can't have the things that I want. And it's not true. Oh my gosh, that went right in. Kate, with that introvert comment, you're definitely inside parts of my brain for sure. <laughs> no question. No question about it. Yes. Um, okay. So last quick question before we pivot. Can you just talk a little bit about the time it takes to make progress and patience? Yeah, for sure. And one of the biggest things that we tend to do as humans is we we look at the top of the mountain a lot. So here we sit and like you want to be CEO or you want a position where you're like, I want to make $200,000 a year working in this place at this company. And we, we look at the top of the mountain and then we look at where we are and we see the distance between where we are and the top of the mountain. And it's just paralyzing. It's like your brain is immediately like, Oh my God. Especially if you're like sort of a big picture thinker and you can see all the steps, you're like, I can't, how am I even going to get there? How am I going to do all of these steps? And I think that can be somewhat detrimental to our confidence building, to our mindset. And so I think it's important. Like I always tell people, yes, set wild goals, have big things that you want, put it out there, but I want you to like put it out there and then set it aside and step back into where you are. And there's two things that I think are really important. One is that I think it's important to look back. I think it's very important. If you're in a new job, I want you looking back to day one of the job versus day 30 of the job. If you're five years into your career, I want you to look back at year one. It's important to look back at where you were and remember that so you can see the progress that you've made because we forget, we adjust so quickly to the progress and we immediately are like, oh my God, I need to be doing 7,452 more things and I have not, I'm not anywhere where I should be in my career. And it's like, if you look back right now between when your podcast was like a tiny little nugget of an idea in your head to <laughs> you having finished a full successful season, it's like, oh my God, huge. Like look at all the stuff you learned and did and how much more confident you are in it than the very first time you went behind your microphone. <laughs> it was a disaster. See <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but how often your brain will want to ignore that and just look at 
where you want to be, what you want to be in the future with it. So I think you have to look back and you have to let yourself see the progress because you always want to compare yourself to an older version of you. Don't keep comparing yourself to other people because that's all we can really look at. Who was I last week and, and where am I today? And you, of course, in context, because I'm not going to compare myself to my professor role after having been in it for eight years and then being four years into a business owner. That's not a fair comparison. I'm going to compare myself to year one in my business and where I am now. The second thing that's super important, I think, to do is to then set, like take the mountain and make tinier hills in front of you. So find the thing that you're working towards and make it much more tangible and in your vision so that you're not always looking at the top of the mountain, particularly the top of the mountain makes you feel anxious. Listen, like I always said, if you look at the top of the mountain and it motivates you and you feel good, I'm not going to take it away from you. Great. Look at the top of the mountain. But if you are someone who feels overwhelmed by that, Find a small piece on the path that you're moving towards and make that your focus so you can see yourself making progress towards that. Because ultimately, if you can't get to the point where you're enjoying the process to get to that next step, then you're not in a process that aligns for you, right? Because the destination's not going to give you the, the giant fireworks show that you think. You're just going to create a new destination. I'm going to get to the top of the mountain. And I'm going to be like, here I am four years into my business and making $500,000. Great. Now I'm going to look at the next mountain peak. So it's not even going to give me satisfaction. I want to make sure that when I set my goal, I set financial goals each year in my business, that I'm enjoying the process of getting to that goal. If I am, I know, cool, I'm aligned. Like I'm doing something that works for me. I'm aligned in this process and reaching these goals. If it feels super crappy, each time I reach that goal, I probably am in something that doesn't fit for me and the process isn't working. Like the process feels bad. So it's that will help you see your own progress, reach those small peaks instead of being looking at the top of the mountain all the time. That is so, so, so helpful. And before we go to the listener question, I want to hear what it's like to work with you and what type of person is a good fit for coaching? Like what type of person are you like, oh yes, this person I can really help. So anyone who is listening to the things I'm saying and saying, oh my God, me, 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 she's in my head is usually a pretty solid fit. (laughs) Um, What I do is coaching. I have coaching programs as one-on-one and, um, you know, one of the big ones is people that are in a sort of new job or a new role of some kind, and they are really sort of struggling around, is this a fit for me? You're worried about your boss or coworker all the time. You're, you're in a space of fearing judgment constantly. You're questioning your competencies a lot. There, That's a, a client that's really common for me. And the one-on-one work really, really eases that transition for people. And, you know, new is somewhat subjective. Like, some people are six months into a new job. I have people that are like two years in and they're still just feeling so shaky and they're still just questioning themselves all over the place. And either of those are really great fits for me. Um, also people who are like really having personal conflicts, like they're struggling a lot with a particular coworker. They're struggling a lot with their boss. They can't get out of their head. They're consumed with this person's behavior, or how they're thinking about them or how they you know show up at work. We can clean that stuff up and it is a game changer for your work experience because there's nothing worse than having someone that you feel like is sort of robbing your brain of any kind of happiness throughout the day and you're fixated on it. Cleaning that up is big, big, big in terms of coaching. Amazing. And what it, for people who haven't done coaching, what is it like? You know, it's like, it's hard to explain. It's so funny because <laughs> I just had a client, she signed up with me and um, we did a quick consult. Usually I do some coaching in the consult, but we did a quick consult. So she didn't get like into the juice and we finished our first session. She was like, Oh my God. She was like, I kind of thought you were just going to like give me advice and stuff, which I was like happy for. And I thought it was going to be great. But she's like, I didn't know you were going to like climb inside of my mind and shift all of this stuff. So it's trippy. I'm not going to go like, hey, lay out all your deepest, darkest secrets on the table and now we're going to pick them apart. It's not that. It is that we're going to get into the particulars of the situations that you're dealing with and I'm really going to use tools that slow your brain down and help you release the obsessiveness, the feelings that you have around it. It just, it's co- I'm cognitively kind of almost retraining your brain to see something differently than the way it sees it. 
and the way that it shifts will give you tons of relief and it helps you show up very differently. Because when you can release that, suddenly you show up to the feedback conversation differently. Suddenly you show up and you are almost sort of performing with more ease because you're not stuck in this space where you're reacting to the people around you a lot. So it is trippy. I mean, I describe it as trippy, but it's not scary. It's actually really fun. <laughs> good trippy. <laughs> yeah, good trippy. Trippy in a good way. And I'll put in the show notes also, but what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can go on AaronMFoley.com. It's Aaron M for Marie because Aaron Foley is a comedian and she had AaronFoley.com, so I couldn't take it. I saw that website when I was looking up. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So yes, AaronMFoley.com, and you'll see um, – two little boxes that pop up, one for business owners and one for my professional women. So click through the professional women. You'll see content. I've got videos that can help you. Um, and you can hop on and grab a free consult. And if you're, so if you're not sure, like, do I want to do coaching? Am I a right fit for it? I never, ever, ever take on any client that I don't think is really in the right place for me to be working with them. So I always do a consultation where I'm going to like dig into your mind, figure out what's going on and make sure that it's a good fit. Amazing. I need to check out your videos. I did not know that you had videos. I've seen some of your business ones, but I haven't seen any for working yeah, women. That's so I have amazing. some working ones on the blog over there. Cool. Great. So I'm going to now pivot into the listener question. So okay. if you're ready, I'll read you the question and then I'm going to give you the floor. Okay. Sounds good. So the listener asks, can you share any advice on how to mentally reset, build my confidence and start fresh when transitioning away from a somewhat unhealthy and toxic work environment that often made me feel quite bad about myself into a new and better environment? I am looking forward to having a clean slate and starting again, but I want to make sure that I make the most out of it and come in with confidence as much as possible. Thank you so much. Sincerely, moving on. Okay, moving on. Let's chat. So there's a couple things that I want to do here. The first thing I want to say that I think is super important is what I would want moving on to do before literally moving on is to look back before they look forward. And the reason I think this is important is because I always want to clean things up before you enter your new space so that you can not recreate some of the patterns that might have been in the old space and get kind of a cleaner perspective on what you're stepping into. Because what we can tend to do this thing where like things got dicey in our old place and we didn't like it for whatever reason. And then we're like, okay, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to start over. And we have this desire for things to be sort of euphoric in the new space. And so we're like holding on to all hope. And it, and we can go in feeling almost disempowered because you feel like you're at the mercy of the new space. Like you're like, oh my God, I hope that it's not toxic. I hope that everybody's kind. I hope that they give feedback the way I need them to. I hope that and so you're going in, squeezing at it so tightly that you're like almost in a state of anxiety that if this doesn't fit perfectly, I'm not going to be okay. So first I want to like go back to what might have been going on at your old job and help you get a perspective on that that is what I call clean. And the way you do that is to think about some of the things I've talked about in this podcast. So think about the rule book I talked about. So part of what's interesting when you say like the old environment made me feel bad about myself and the old environment was toxic is that these things are so subjective. I'll give you an example from my own life. My partner is a writer and he had this job at a documentary film place and they did things so quickly. Like all of a sudden something would come through and it would be like a madhouse in there where everybody jumped up and they were problem solving all of these things and booking things and moving at this fast pace. And someone could take that and be like, it is toxic. It's ridiculous to think you should work at that speed. It's banana land. Nobody can keep up. It makes you crazy. And for my partner, it for sure made him feel nuts. He was like on edge all the time. There's a difference between that being toxic and that not being a preference for how he works best. So for him, it turned out that is not a place where he flourishes. He does not, he's more pensive. He needs time. He doesn't like a lot of people breathing down his neck with intense timelines. Great. That was great information for him to know, but it would be really easy for his brain to be like, this is toxic. These people are crazy and sort of put it on an external drama filled space that would make it worse for him when he was leaving and going into the next place. So we want to get really clean on what happened in your old environment 
And part of how you do that is you you drop all the expectations that everyone needed to be operating based on your rule book and you get clean on the facts. So if it was a court of law and you were talking about the facts of your old job and you were looking at how that place functioned, maybe you're maybe everybody worked till nine o'clock. Okay. It's easy to make this mean this place is crazy. Everybody's nuts. Nobody has any boundaries. This is toxic. People don't have work-life balance. All of that is just a story that's going to make you get all worked up and it's going to kind of disempower you. Instead, I would say, well, the fact is people work till nine. You prefer to be done by five. Great. Pull out your preference. Allow it to be okay that they work till nine. Allow yourself to know, I don't want to work till nine. I want to work till five. It's facts are things that I can come in as an outsider and objectively see. It's things you can prove in a court of law. Maybe your manager gives a lot of critical feedback and you're like, my manager gives critical feedback three times a week. And in your brain, this is toxic. This is crazy. This isn't how people should function. I would say just to flip that to the fact, I prefer 50-50 positive and negative feedback. I need to hear 50% of the time. So I need a manager who gives me 50%. And I need, if you can pull all drama out of it and all they should have, why didn't they? They're so, and just get real simple with how it functioned, the role you were in, what worked for you, what didn't work for you. Then you're entering your new space in a much cleaner place where you're like, okay, I know that my preference is to leave at five. My preference is for someone who to give me equal positive feedback as negative because that's what I need for motivation. And it's it's still okay that everyone's not going to operate by my rule book, but you sort of have identified some of your deal breakers for what makes, instead of it being toxic, instead you look at it as that wasn't a highly functional environment for me. I didn't flourish in that environment for various reasons. And I'm looking for an environment where I can flourish. And so here's the things I'm going to pay attention to. But you're leaving the drama and the story behind so that you don't carry insecurity so much into the new job. I also, though, want you to enter the new job with an expectation that you're going to feel shaky, that you're going to feel uncertain, that you're going to panic about people's perceptions of you and that this is just 100% normal and it's going to take you a good six months at least to get a sense for like feeling stable. Like it should feel a little bit like in coaching, we call it square one, something new. You should feel a little bit like you're on a merry-go-round <laughs> and like everything's spinning and you're like, where's the ground? I need the ground. And then when you let yourself know like, oh, it's spinning and it's supposed to be spinning. I'm shaky and I'm supposed to be shaky. I'm panicking if this is right for me. And I should feel that way because it's new. I'm just, I'm on the bike and I haven't been on this bike before. Then you can almost not resist it and let it happen. And know in six months to a year, you'll have a much better sense of what you're doing and how it's feeling and what's fitting and not fitting. And you can observe it from that fact versus fiction space. Wow. That was very helpful for me. Good. Thank you so much for helping. I hope that helps moving on. It helped me. Well, like this idea of like moving past the drama story, Mm -hmm. I think is really making me think and making my wheels turn a lot. (laughs) Good. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And now it's time for my favorite part of the interview, which is the closing questions, which I ask to every guest. The first one is about the title of the podcast, which is The Art of Speaking Up. And I ask every guest to share their interpretation of that and why they believe it's important. Yeah, I love this question. I've heard this because I love your podcast and I listen to it. Yeah, and I try not to think too much about the last questions I knew you'd be asking because I was like, I want to just feel it organically. Um, <laughs> mind body connection, right? Mind body connection. I think that <laughs> what I I think that speaking up, what I would encourage listeners to think about is you want like allow speaking up to be speaking up in ways that really resonate for you. So. There's this like kind of literal definition that we tend to put on it where we see the like really opinionated person at the meeting who talks a lot and you know is assertive and strong and great right fine that's her but like I said before everyone we need an array of different personality types in our organizations I have a client who's in a powerful position female at an organization and she is not a fast processor. She processes things more slowly. She think, needs to think through things. She's a little bit more thoughtful. She's not someone on the spot that has six things to say during a discussion. 
And it was easy for her to beat herself up and be like, I need to be showing up to these meetings and contributing more and doing. And the reality is speaking up for her in the way that serves her best is, you know, we have her planning some of the things. We have her thinking through some of the points she wants to make in a meeting ahead of time. You know, sometimes she follows up with a thought she had to her supervisor where she's like, hey, I was thinking about the thing that we talked about the meeting. And there's a couple of really important things that popped up for me that I wanted to share. And so allowing her to like really honor how she functions best, who she is, that, you know, there was a gentleman in my job who was a professor who did not speak up all the time in meetings. He was an introvert. He was very thoughtful. He was very smart. He spoke up when he really had something to say. You could tell he had thought about it. And his like thoughts were extremely helpful. It was some of the most significant contributions to the problems that we were discussing. So the fact is he didn't need to be like the other guy who had something to say every third second. That's who he is. That's how he functions. And that's when he speaks up. And you need to honor your own kind of personality, your own strengths. And speaking up to me really means being a part of the conversation and contributing what you have to say in the best way that it serves you. That was so beautiful. And I felt that so deeply. And that perspective just means a lot to me personally. And I think I think that will help set a lot of people free. And I I really believe that it's true. So I'm so glad that you went into that. And I just I need to highlight something that you said because this is so important for people who don't speak up a lot at work. So that person you mentioned who usually doesn't talk, but when he does share, it comes off very powerfully. Like this, this is huge. I have seen this play out in meetings at work yeah. in professional spaces. Like people who talk all the time, everyone gets sick of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like they hate them, but you know, we're used to hearing them talk. When someone who doesn't speak speaks, people listen. Totally. And it's usually good. And that is an asset. That is a way to get noticed. And so that is a huge source of value and people should hold on to that. And yeah, we don't have to be something that we're not. We don't. And it doesn't, it really just doesn't serve you to be, you know, he was promoted. People saw his value. We saw him as a huge contributor to, and, and like the nuances are fine that it's allow the nuances to really come through. You have ways in which you're contributing that the person next to you can't contribute. It's not in line for them. You might be writing articles. You might be doing things where your communication style within that is very strong. Lean into the style that really serves you. Oh my gosh. Yes. Our authenticity is where like the power and authenticity is like a hundred X stronger than like trying to do the thing you think you should do. It is. It definitely is. And now for my favorite, favorite question, which is the final question, the context around the final question is that I started the show because like everyone, I've been through tough times in my career and I wanted to be able to speak to women who are going through a tough time or just who want to hear voices and stories to help them feel empowered and help them feel like they can do anything, Mm -hmm. achieve anything that they want. And so I always give the last space to the guest to share whatever they would want listeners to hear. You know, I think what I want listeners to hear, particularly because I think there's probably a lot of of youngins. I'm 43, I know. So the 20, the 20 somethings are are youngins for me. And even if you're not, even if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, it's the same message: is that you are not behind, and you're not doing something wrong. And this is, I just think, such a heavy burden that so many of us carry that I'm behind. I'm doing it wrong. I'm. I didn't hit my trajectories or I should already, I should know what I want to be when I grow up. I should have mastered my career. I should be at this certain level in my career. And none of it's true. None of it is true. You live in a time where organizationally things function so much differently. You live in a time where we don't do this. We're sort of operating based on this old model of like graduating, getting one job, getting promoted to the next, this linear concept. And it's just not linear anymore. It's so circular and it's messy. And it's like, you know, me starting over and building a business after all those years that I contributed in my other job, it wasn't a straight linear path. And at the same time, it didn't disregard everything I did. The the things you do in each space, even when things don't fit for you or you shift will come with you. You'll never erase the skills that you learn, but there's no real destination. The thing about our careers that I always love to talk about with my clients is it's just this fun, weird game we play. Like 
We live in a capitalistic society. We have to get paid for our food, water, and shelter. So we're playing this game where we're like, okay, how can I use my strengths to make money so I can feel productive and so I can have food, water, and shelter? And that's all we're really trying to do. And we make it into the most significant thing that we've ever done. We make it into the biggest slice of value in our life. And we actually make it into the thing that will either make us happy or not. And it's crazy because research actually shows your happiness, your satisfaction, it's a full pie and your career is just one slice, one slice in this giant pie that includes your family and your friends and your spirituality and your health and wellness and your hobbies and your community. And so all that we want for that slice is for you to be doing something that aligns with your strengths. That's it. We don't need you to be like, changing the world. We don't need you to make a million dollars to have that slice be happy. We just need you to be doing your strengths and flourishing in some way, feeling productive. And we make it so big. And then we we make it this thing where we're like, oh my God, I'm failing. I'm failing. And I just want to say like, you're not. If you're confused and you're like, I don't know if this fits or I don't know, you are experiencing a human experience that most people are experiencing in their careers. And many people aren't sure. And many people at many levels say, I think I want to change, or I'm not sure if I picked the right thing, or I don't know if this role is right for me. So just know it's kind of part of this weird and interesting process of how am I going to get paid for food, water, and shelter? And how am I going to fill that slice? And we all play that game of trying to fill that slice and you aren't failing at it. You're just playing the game. Thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Erin. It was such a joy to talk with her, and I'm so glad that I got to share it with you. If you want to learn more about Erin, her website is erinmfoley.com. That's M as in majestic. And I would love to hear from you what you took away from this episode. If there was anything in here that you hadn't heard before that you found particularly interesting, I would love to hear what that is. You can reach me most easily on Instagram. My handle is the name of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. I just love hearing your feedback. I love hearing what you like. I love hearing what you might want to hear more of. And of course, you can always send me your listener questions to be answered on the show. The guests put such thought and so much heart into answering them, and it is really fun for me to have you be a part of this. So thank you. It's great to have you tuning in as usual. If you're loving the show and you want to support the show, share it with a friend or give it a rating and a review in the iTunes store. Those make me so happy. It's embarrassing how happy they make me. They make me really happy because I know what it's like to need help in one's career or just not feel great. And I want to be solving that problem for anyone out there that is experiencing that. So I love hearing from you. I love getting your feedback. Thank you to anyone who's reached out to me. It makes my day every time. It makes my week every time, my month, my year, my life. Thank you for reaching out to me. And with that, I'm going to close off the episode. I will catch you next week. We're getting kind of close to the end of the season. A few episodes left, but there's still more to come. So with that, have an amazing day. Have an amazing week. And I'll catch you soon. Bye.